Amen. You may be seated. Father God, we just thank you so much. You're a good, good father. You're a great father. Awesome father. Thank you for this time of worship, Lord. Thank you for this awesome worship team. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here today, Lord. Lord, we, it is good to be in your presence, God. It is good to be with you, Lord God. And I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would speak to every one of our hearts today. I pray, God, that you would take this message, God, and you would turn it, God, into a message from your heart to every heart here. I pray, Father God, that you would speak to us. I pray for those who are discouraged, that you would encourage them, Lord. I pray for those who feel weak, Lord, that you would strengthen them, Lord. I pray for those who are depressed, Lord, that you would be the lifter of our heads today, Lord. I pray, Lord, you would continue to quicken us, Lord. Quicken us by your word, God. Quicken us by your Holy Spirit, God. Come and speak and minister to each and every one of us. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said? Amen. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 1 to 3, and uh, I believe we have it up on the screen soon. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Now, it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. Can you imagine being with Jesus and, and hearing him pray? Can you imagine what that prayer was like? Unlike any prayer anyone had ever heard. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John the Baptist, that's John the Baptist is referring to, as John the Baptist taught his disciples so he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And in this prayer called the Lord's Prayer, we've got some wonderful teachings on how we can develop a healthy prayer life. Amen? Amen. I'd like to look at Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to read it from the King James Version because uh, it's, it's more well known from the King James Version. Matthew 6, 9, it says, Hallelujah. Oh, did I not, uh, did I mess up there? Let's see. Go back, uh, go back one. Maybe I messed it up. Let's see. Here it is. Nope. Uh, let's see. Matthew 6, 9. It should have been the second slide. Hmm. Okay. I'm just going to read it. All right? Amen. Matthew 6, 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Some of us are very familiar with these words. Some of us may have even completely memorized this prayer. Some of us have quoted this prayer hundreds, maybe even thousands of times. It's easily the most famous prayer that's ever been prayed. Amen? Amen. And um, <clears throat> the first thing I'd like to point out is the fact that uh, how different Luke's version is. And um, I, I'm not going to look up here. If, if it goes with me, fine. I may have messed up the PowerPoint slides, so I'm just going to start rolling, OK? If it's there, it's there. If it's not, it's not. Amen? <laughs> first thing I want to point out is Luke's version of this same prayer is so different. Uh, Matthew's version in, in uh, the King James is 66 words, and Luke's version is 58 words. And uh, in Luke's version, it's different in seven different places. Luke 11:2, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then it ends there. Why is Luke's version so different? It's different in seven places. Because the Lord did not want this prayer to become like magical words that you just say over and over without even thinking about what you're saying. Look at what Jesus said right before this prayer in Matthew 6, 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. They think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. Matthew 6, uh, 7 and 8 in the New Living Translation. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Since Matthew and Luke's versions of the Lord's Prayer are not exact, it is not about what exact words we are to pray, but about receiving truth in our heart that will enable us to pray more effectively. In other words, the Lord's Prayer is not to teach us what exactly to pray, but how to pray. Not with specific words that we repeat over and over, but by receiving foundational truths on which to build our prayer lives upon. Amen? As LaGuardia Airport is building a huge new terminal, the first thing that went up was a steel structure made of steel beams. And there it is. <laughs> I knew he'd get into gear. Amen. <laughs> there is the new uh, terminal at LaGuardia Airport. And uh, as you can see, the first thing that went up was like a skeleton, a structure, steel beams on which to build the terminal on. 
And I know that one day when I'm up there on the second floor and a guy goes to the counter and bangs the counter because he's mad because he missed his flight, I know that building is not going to crumble because it's built by, on a foundation of really strong steel beams that have been welded together. Hallelujah. And I'll say it this way. The Lord's prayer is filled with strong steel beams of foundational truths on which you and I can build a strong prayer life on. Hallelujah. So let's look at the first steel beam, Matthew 6, 9, from the New King James. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven hallowed be your name the first truth that we need deep down in our hearts when we pray is the fact that God is our father and we are his beloved children out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and out of the abundance of truth in our heart the Christian prays not just words but expressing the truth behind the meaning of the words, our Father in heaven. Paul said in Romans 8, 15, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, or Daddy, Papa, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, the spirit of adoption is one of the names of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has many names because he has many administrations. There's many things that he does. The Holy Spirit is also called the spirit of truth because he leads us into truth. Amen? But he is also called the spirit of adoption. And you say, well, what is the Holy Spirit doing when he's the spirit of adoption? He is bearing witness with our spirit that we have been adopted into the family of God. And we are now God's children. I've heard his gentle whispers in the dead of night. Amen. You're my child. I'm going to take care of you. Amen. And when we wake up in the morning and we're flooded with anxiety, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to our spirit and say to us, you are the child of God. God is your father. He will take care of you. He'll take care of you today. He'll take care of you tomorrow. He'll take care of you forever. Amen. Hallelujah. That's the spirit of adoption. He's bearing witness with our spirit. You see, with your heart, you believe. With your mind, you think. But with your spirit, you know. Your spirit is your knower. I know I'm saved. I know I'm forgiven. I know God is my father. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, he speaks to my spirit. And tells me, you're a child of God now. There's no need to worry about your future. There's no need to worry about these things that the Gentiles worry about. Amen? Amen. Galatians 4.4, 4, 
God sent forth his son to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son, another name of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Papa, Daddy, Father. And Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer is in chapter 6, which is right in smack in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5 through 7. The Sermon on the Mount is a terrible name for the greatest sermon ever preached. All it says is where it occurred. That'd be like me titling, the title of my message today is the Sermon in the Chapel. Well, okay, <laughs> but what, what's it about? Since Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount the word Father 17 times, I suggest we rename the Sermon on the Mount the Sermon about our Father. Amen. I got one amen. amen. <laughs> well, if we vote it, we might not get it through. <laughs> Let's look at a few verses. Uh, father verses from the Sermon on the Mount, 6-6. Six, six. When you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Chapter 6, verse 31, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your Father knows that you need all these things. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more, that's a theme, right? How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So in the Lord's Prayer, the first foundational truths regarding God the Father, taken from our Father in heaven, are these four truths that need to be deep down in our hearts. The God of heaven is a Father. Father God has made himself accessible to us. Amen? Amen? We don't pray, dear Father in heaven, I'm going to leave this voicemail, and if you ever get it, <laughs> and if you ever listen to it, then somehow let me know you heard this prayer. No. We have access to the Father. Amen? Amen. We have access. New buildings that are built have to be wheelchair accessible. That a person in a wheelchair has to have access to get into the building, whether by a ramp or by an elevator. We have access to the Father. Amen. Hallelujah. And three, you can have an intimate relationship with the Father as his child. Amen? Amen. And four, through prayer, we approach God our Father. Hallelujah. Back to Matthew 6, 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But notice here, 
We're not to begin the prayer, Father in heaven, or the Father in heaven. You can leave it on that one slide. Not the Father in heaven, not a Father, not even my Father. Our Father. O U R. <laughs> A little word that we miss. We need to be more community mindset, have more of a community mindset instead of an individual mindset. A few years ago, at the end of a missions trip, I got up early in the morning on the outskirts of Paris, and I took the subway to the middle of the city where I got the high-speed Euro train to London. I got to London before lunch. It was so cool. But I felt like I was in the twilight zone. When I got on the subway at about 7 o'clock in the morning at the edge of Paris and rode it into the middle of Paris, I saw thousands and thousands of people. And I noticed there was no dirt. There was no graffiti. There was no advertisements. And there was no talking. It was creepy. I only heard two people talking in that whole hour. And they looked like they were tourists from New York City. <laughs> Everybody else was like, like cattle, like, like a robot. It was spooky. When I got on the train to go to London, I sat next to a, a lady going back home to England after she visited her friend in Paris, and I told her, I said, I just had one of the most weirdest experiences in my life. And I explained to her how spooky it was that I was on the subway system for an hour. No one spoke. No one, there was no dirt. There was no graffiti, no advertisements anywhere. It was weird. And she said, let me tell you something even more weird. She said, my friend in Paris, when she was in the ninth grade, the government told her, you are going to be a teacher, and when you graduate from high school, you're going to go to this college and get this degree and work in this school in this neighborhood until you retire. And then she said, that's socialism for you. I was like, wow. Now, I'm not a politician. I'm not going to start downing socialism, so don't worry about it. But the governmental system of France affected everyone so much that no one noticed how weird they were. It, it reminded me, I said to that pastor of the, in the church in Paris, I said, look, do you, are you aware that a major university is right down the street from you with thousands of lost souls? Have you ever thought of doing an evangelistic outreach there? He said, oh, I don't think the government would want us to do that. So when I got home to the United States, I said, Lord, how about our country? Does our government affect us so deeply, yet so pervasively, that we don't even perceive it? And then I learned many pastors in New England were against the Revolutionary War. 
Some of them tried to call a special day of fasting and prayer throughout the colonies to ask God to change the heart of King James of England, who was the authority over the colonies. It never happened. War broke out instead. And our most sacred document is the Declaration of Independence. Our nation was born out of revolt called the Revolutionary War. Now, I'm not saying that war could have been averted. I'm not even saying that war was unjust or ungodly. I'm not even sure that our nation was birthed out of rebellion. But one thing I'm sure of, almost all of us in the United States of America are way too independent. The Declaration of Independence is our most sacred doctrine in our country. We thank me and my, not we and our. Now, some Eastern and some Hispanic cultures are much more community-minded than others. But who's to say which culture is the best? Who's to say which one is right? God is to say. God and his word is to say what's right and what's wrong. And throughout the New Testament, we read over and over these words. One another. Matter of fact, there's 59 one another's in the New Testament. Next slide, please. I'm not going to read all 59 of them. I'll just read five of them to you. Love one another. John 13:34. Be at peace with one another. Mark 9:50. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Romans 12:10. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 12:10. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Romans 15:7. The New Testament teaches an interdependence on one another that is foreign to the individualistic culture in our country. Christians get mad at each other, so they go to another church. Or they start another church. Or they start another denomination. But God is our Father. And we are His children. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And I will not fulfill my potential in Christ without you without your input and without your influence on my life. Amen? Amen? You are in a family environment here in Brooklyn Teen Challenge. As a matter of fact, you probably never again in your life will be in a place where so many people see your junk and love you anyway. Amen? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so take advantage of this. And let God operate on your heart. Amen? And when you leave here, be determined to be part of a church family. Amen? Amen. Psalm 68, 6, God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. But how many Christians do you know that when they get on their knees to pray, out of the abundance of their heart, the words come out, Our 
Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, let me move on, hallowed be your name. The second most foundational truth on which to build a strong prayer life on, right behind the truth that God is our Father, is hallowed be your name. In the dictionary says to hallow, to regard as holy, to venerate as holy. What does venerate mean? To regard with great respect. An example, the hallowed halls of Congress. In other words, there's so many historic events that happened in the halls of Congress that, that when you're there, you should sh show great respect to that place. Sometimes looking at a verse, hallowed be your name, what does that mean? Sometimes it's helpful to read other versions. So I'll do that here, three, three versions. New Living Translation, may your name be kept holy. The NET, may your name be honored. The Passion Translation, may the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. May the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. That goes with what Paul said in Romans, I mean in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Paul said in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned in the Greek refers to missing the mark by not even aiming at the right target. <laughs> As sinners, our target is not God, but ourselves. We're not even aiming at the right target. So it's impossible to hit the target. Without Christ, we are hopelessly self-centered. Amen? Amen? The sinful works of the flesh, they're just manifestations of selfishness. Adultery, fornication, anger, outbursts of anger and hatred. And when I was 17 years old, first time in my life, I started going to church and this guy was picking me up and taking me to church. And, uh, and one day, as we were driving into my mom's um, <clears throat> driveway, I turned to him and I said, what must I do to be saved? And I thought he would lead me in a prayer, you know, to accept Christ as my Savior. But he didn't. He said, I said, what, what must I do to be saved? He said, Charles... You can't get saved. And then a long pause. <laughs> you can't get saved. Until you realize how sinful you are. I got out of the car and slammed the door. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Walked up to the front door of my mom's house and prayed a prayer. God... Show me how sinful I am. Ooh, dangerous prayer. <laughs> Unless you're ready for it. God, show me how sinful I am. I walked into the living room and my little sister, Bertie, laying on the couch watching TV, she jumps up and says, Charles, please, 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 
Don't turn the channel. I'm in the middle of this movie. Every time you come home, you always watch what you want. You never let me watch what I want. And I looked at my sweet little sister. I said, never? She said, never. You always watch what you want. I said, Bertie, I'm so sorry. And I walked up to my bedroom in a daze. Like, wow. You know how someone's really like the way they treat their younger siblings. I'm like, oh my goodness. I never, never have let her watch what she wanted. Oh my goodness, how self-centered can I be? And then I realized, you know what? Even when I do good, I do it to be seen as good. Oh my goodness, even my righteousnesses are filthy rags. <laughs> and it just hit me, I am hopelessly self-centered. I'm like, wait a minute, self-centered, sinful? I think that means the same thing. Hey, I think I'm ready to get saved. <laughs> so I asked the Lord to forgive me, and I asked the Lord to save me. Amen? And when Jesus saved me, I knew he didn't just save me from hell. He saved me from the smallness of living a life just for me. When I got saved, the dominating power of sin and selfishness was broken off of me. And now I'm free to choose. I can go back to selfishness or I can live for God. And I was getting ready to graduate. My mom graduated high school. My mom said, son, it's time for you to make plans. And you need to follow your dad's example. And you need to follow your six older brother's example. They all went into the Navy. When they got out of the Navy with the GI Bill, they went to college. They all got a good degree. After that, they all got a good wife. After that, they all bought a big house. So son, you need to go down to the Navy recruiter and sign up for the Navy. I said, Mom, I got one problem with that. She said, what's that, son? I said, well, Mom, I want to live for the glory of God. My mom wasn't saved. I was the first one saved in my family. She said, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> I said, I don't know. I read it in the Bible this morning. <laughs> I think it means I want to live my life in such a way that it will bring glory to God by me doing what he says and going where he tells me to go. Actually, instead of going into the Navy, I had already made plans to go to the Smoky Mountains. When I was a teenager, I started painting oil paintings, and uh, a couple of my paintings won first place in the, in the exhibits that I put it in, and then I started selling my paintings for hundreds of dollars. I mean, this was in the 70s, a teenager making hundreds of dollars off of his artwork. I'm like, you know, I can make a living doing this. I know what I'm going to do. After high school, I'm going to go up to the top of the Smoky Mountains, and I'm going to build a log cabin. And in my log cabin, I'm going to spend my days painting landscape paintings of the mountains. And then I got saved. 
And then I said, Lord, I'll put scripture on my paintings. <laughs> you know, some of us, we just want to put scripture on our paintings. <laughs> I said, you know what, I, I better pray about this. And I heard the gentle whisper in the night as the spirit of adoption, Holy Spirit, started speaking to me. Son, my plans for you are so much greater than your little plans. Surrender every plan you have. Let me lead you and I will be glorified through your life. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So when I was 19, I found myself as a missionary in the South Bronx when the Bronx was burning. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but I tell you what, in these 40 plus years, um, not one single time, not one single day have I been bored. <laughs> and every year, just about every year, I, I go to family reunion in, in Tennessee, and they're usually in Knoxville. And I can see past Knoxville, the Smoky Mountains. And every year I look at those Smoky Mountains, I'm like, God, <laughs> I am so glad I'm not up there painting my thousandth painting. I would be bored to death. And the plans that God had for me of, of moving to New York City and, uh, um, you know, I've, there's been many days it's been quite hard. There's been many days I've been filled with fears, but not one day have I been bored. <laughs> I feel like I've lived four lifetimes here in New York City. And, uh, I mean, not that I'm ready to go home. Maybe i got four more to go. But I look at my little plans that I had. I'm like, wow. I'm glad that from my heart, I really did pray this prayer. Matthew 6, 9. And, um, and also look at uh, <clears throat> Matthew 6, 9 and also verse 13. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I, I really, from my heart, as a baby Christian, said, Father, I want you to be glorified through my life. And I know that the only way that's going to take place is if I surrender all and I let God lead me. And God put in my heart a desire for him to be glorified. That God would receive glory. Amen? Amen. And when I got saved, the dominating power of sin was broken off of my life, according to Romans 6. But the way I like to put it also, the dominating power of self-centeredness was broken off of me, and now I am free. I can go back and be selfish, or I can truly learn to live for God, for his glory, for his people, 
a life much bigger than just my stupid little plans. I mean, I still like to do artwork. I like to design <laughs> book covers. I got to design Brother Don's last five book covers. Well, actually, Cisco did the last one. He's better than me at designing, so I let him design them. <laughs> but I still do some art, but uh, I am so grateful. Every time I look at the Smoky Mountains, I'm like, oh, man. I almost lived a very small life, a very self-centered life. I haven't arrived, but I see Jesus as our model life. You want to know Jesus' secret for living a victori victorious life over sin? I got one. You want to know Jesus' secret for living a victorious life over sin? John chapter 7, verse 18. Jesus said, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Jesus said, there is no unrighteousness in me. None. Because I'm not living for myself. I'm living for my Father. I'm living to bring glory to God, my Father. And therefore, for that reason, I don't have selfish motives. Wow. There's no unrighteousness in Jesus because he always lives for the glory of the Father. You can quote the Lord's Prayer all you want, and it'll be a little helpful. But it'll be immensely helpful to our prayer lives if we receive not just the words, but the truth behind those words. And maybe next time I'll share the rest of it. I only have time today just to look at the, the first phrase. Matthew 6, 9, again, in closing. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, as your beloved children, we pray that you would be glorified and honored through our lives as we do what you say and go where you lead.